The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Are you sure? How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, isn't it so cool to be in a city where people are just insanely creative and they can draw stuff and it's just awesome. So our creative team is amazing. Welcome to the first week of uh, the Storytelling God series. We're so excited to um, just teach through the stories that Jesus told. And uh, I don't know what your perception is about the stories that Jesus told. I don't know how you interpret those. I don't know how you look at them, but they're more than just moralistic fables. They're more than just little sermonettes. They're more than just illustrations. And I think it's good for us as a church to hear the stories that Jesus told. So we're going to do that today. Matthew chapter 13 is our text. Before we get there, happy NBA All-Star Weekend. (laughs) Anybody an NBA fan? Um, maybe Tyler is the only one, all right? There's two facts about NBA All-Star Weekend. Number one, the Lakers cannot lose, all right? Number two, the world is not flat, all right? If that doesn't make sense to you, then you need to listen to the news, all right? You can't help a guy that went to Duke. He just doesn't know what's going on, all right? So if you have a Bible, turn it to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to put the scripture on the screen, and I want to read it to us today. And um, I, want to, I want to walk through about three verses, and then we're going to sing some again. And, uh, but let me say, I'm glad that you're here this morning. By the way, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, hello to you too. And we are so pumped that you would spend an hour or so with us this morning, all right? Let's get going. Any bargain hunters in the house? Anybody like a good bargain? Anybody like a good bargain? Some of you guys are shopaholics. Some of you guys are coupon moms. I'm a bargain hunter. I love a good bargain. Um, I bought a gift card last week. It was worth $315. I paid $228 for it. I was pretty proud of myself. I bought a $178 Lowe's gift card last week. No kidding, for $28. I love a good bargain. If you want to know how I do it, you can ask me later, and I won't charge you much for it, all right? Listen, I love a good bargain. Some of you guys love good bargains, too. I've got a good friend that goes to church here. He's here. I won't say his name, but he usually sits in the back, and he wears a hat, and he's a bargain hunter. He wakes up on Saturday mornings and Friday mornings, and he goes to estate sales and yard sales, and one Saturday morning, I woke up and went with him. I woke up like 5.30, and we get in his pickup truck, and we ride around to every yard sale in town. And he's looking for a good bargain, and he's never shy about telling me the bargain that he got. So this week, he texted me two pictures of two pieces of furniture that he got, one for free that he sold to Cartoon Network this week for $750. (laughs) Joke's on you, Cartoon Network, all right? The second piece of furniture he got at a yard sale for $5, he sold for $150 this week. It's just amazing. He's an incredible bargain hunter, and I love a bargain hunter, all right? I watched this Netflix documentary called The Ultimate Guide to Penny Pinching. I don't know if you've ever seen this. You need to watch it. It's insanity, all right? Um, I I won't tell you all the stories, but there's one story of this guy named Jonathan who says he's never bought meat. He's not bought meat from the grocery store in 30 years. Why? Because he eats roadkill. (laughs) Rabbit, pheasant, whatever it is, whatever bounces off the bumper of a Ford Escort, he eats it disgusting, but I love a good bargain hunter. And that's the definition of a bargain hunter. Somebody that wants something that puts very little into it. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a story for bargain hunters. It's a great story. What's happening in this passage is it's kind of a turning point in Jesus's ministry. Up until this point, there's large crowds that are following Jesus. 
and the stories have gotten so intense, the, the call to follow Jesus has gotten so hard that the large crowds begin to disperse and the large crowds become smaller. And so Jesus begins to tell a series of stories and every single one of them starts out like this. The kingdom of heaven is like... And so he goes on to tell a story about the kingdom of heaven is like a sower who throws seeds on the ground. And Tyler's going to preach about that in a few weeks. A sower throws seeds on the ground and some of it takes root and some of it doesn't. Then he goes on to tell a story about, um, about the wheat and the tares, about a mustard seed. He goes on to talk, uh, tell a story about yeast. And essentially the narrative there talks about how the kingdom of God is always advancing, never receding. Um, and it's committed to a small group of disciples who are committed to Jesus. And so he's telling all of these stories about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of God. And then he gets to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, and he's got a story to tell to those who are looking for a spiritual bargain. Those who want something, they want the benefit of the kingdom of God and being associated with it, but the benefit that they want is not equal to the sacrifice and the heart that they also offer to the process. So Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44, let me read the passage to you, and I want to speak to some spiritual bargain hunters this morning, if we can. Matthew 13, verse 44, it's on the screen. Jesus said, remember, these are the red letters. This is what Jesus is speaking. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found, very distinct from the second parable here, which a man found, and then he hid again, and from joy, I'm not going to preach this, but let me just pause for a moment. He, he found the treasure, and from joy over the treasure, he went and sold everything he had to purchase the land. I want to tell you this morning, and this is not a preaching point, but I think it's obvious to make, your joy will always follow your treasure. He found the treasure, he hid it, and then from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field, and he comes back later. And now the treasure that's found in the field that he found is his. Verse 45. This is the second parable that he tells. They're very similar, but a little bit different. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is seeking fine pearls. Verse 46. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Little Bible study practice here for you. When you're reading the scriptures and when you're reading specifically the parables and the stories that Jesus told, um, the parables and the stories that Jesus told often have a very explicit meaning, and it's not hard to find the meaning in the parable. In other words, when you're reading the parables of Jesus, don't look for a secret hidden meaning. It's not like uh, what your parents and your friends used to tell you where you could scratch a record and run it backwards and there was a satanic message there. You don't have to look deep for the parables and the meaning in those parables. In fact, I don't know if you know, the, the Revelation, Reve, Revolution 9 song from the Beatles, you know that? If it, some of you guys are old enough. But the, supposedly if you scratch the record backwards, like there's a hidden clue, like this cover-up clue as to how Paul McCartney died. It's just crazy. And so the parables are not like that. Jesus's meaning is pretty simple and it's pretty straightforward and you don't have to hide and you don't have to seek intensely to find the meaning. But what you do have to search for, the meaning is pretty explicit, but oftentimes the application is not. So, so let me lay out the meaning of this passage right up front for you so we know exactly where we're going and we can launch right into it. Here, here is the point of the parable that Jesus tells about the treasure and the pearl. Here's the point. A true disciple understands that God's kingdom is so valuable 
A true disciple, and by the way, Jesus is telling this parable so that you can discern, are you a true disciple? Remember, the crowds were large. They were following Jesus. They were intrigued by the miracles that he was performing. And Jesus begins to tell harder stories, and, and he gives a, a more difficult journey in order to follow Jesus. And so the crowds began to thin. And so now Jesus is telling a story to spiritual bargain hunters, those who are looking to find something of the kingdom and a benefit from the kingdom that they're not really willing to put into it. And so the point of Jesus' parable, and the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price is that a true disciple understands that God's kingdom is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing whatever it takes to be one of its citizens. That's the point of the parable. It's very straightforward this morning. And so he, he, he lays out this, this meaning of the parable. And, and now, but before we just jump into it, it's, it's not hard to understand what the meaning is. But before you tune me out and you look at Twitter, let me just say this to you. I'm not asking you this morning as a pastor, I'm not asking you to sell everything you own, to downsize your home, to leave your job, to go in the ministry and to move overseas. That's not what I'm asking you this morning. And that's not necessarily what Jesus is asking you. Um, we, we, and also, by the way, um, when we read these parables, don't, don't read into the parable that we can buy God's favor by simply, by, by simply um, abandoning everything we own for Jesus. That's not how we gain God's favor. And Jesus is not necessarily asking you to give everything you have, sell everything you own, and to move somewhere else to be a missionary in full-time ministry. That may not be what God's asking you to do. Maybe, but it may not be what God is asking you to do, all right? But let's dive into this. Let me, let me just unfold a few things that I think are interesting to know. There's a parable of the hidden treasure. And the story of the hidden treasure is the story of a man who just happens to be walking through a field. And as he's walking through the field, he just stumbles upon something that he knows is so valuable that he has to have it and he goes to extreme measures to make sure that he can buy the field so that when the field becomes his the treasure that's found wherever it was found in this field is now his i think it's interesting that this man just stumbled upon the treasure and i think that describes a lot of us and how we come to faith how the gospel becomes implanted in our hearts in that we that that maybe we weren't looking for jesus we weren't looking for the gospel we weren't looking for our lives to be transformed but in a moment jesus surprises us with his grace and his love and his glory and the gospel is implanted in our lives all right the second story is a man who's a pearl hunter he's actively seeking a pearl of great price in other words, uh, maybe like a person we could describe as a seeker of God. Now, we don't need to get deep into the theology of what that means, but the essence both is true of the man who stumbled upon the treasure and the man who is seeking. It's a work of God that regenerates our hearts, that leads us to that place in the first place, all right? Now, we don't just don't need to get into the theology of that, but we just need to understand that. But the second man is actively seeking. He's on a spiritual journey, trying to discover truth, trying to discover God. And when he's on that journey, God opens his heart to see who he is, Okay. I don't know if some of you can identify like that. I, I can identify with the first man. Um, I, I, when I, was, I grew up in church, and I tell people a lot, I had a drug problem when I was a little kid. I got drugged to church Sunday morning, drugged to church Sunday night, drugged to church Wednesday night. I had a severe drug problem because I was always drugged to church, and I hated it. I Quite honestly, I hated church. And, and, and I was drugged to church. In fact, I got conned into being in this Christmas play one time, and I so hated it. I won't tell you what I did, but I hated it, all right? So when I was 17, I got invited to this winter weekend, January of 1995, and let me tell you why I went. I went because I knew there were going to be girls there, straight up. 
I found a girl then. I've ultimately found my girl, the only girl in my life, and she's amazing. But I, I, I found a girl at this retreat, and I thought I was going to this winter weekend because I was going to find a girl. But what happened was God surprised me in the journey. He surprised me with something I wasn't looking for. And in the process of going for one reason, Jesus turns the tables on me, and he changes my life, and he changes my heart in a moment. And I'm like the first man. Maybe some of you guys are the same way. Maybe some of you guys showed up at church on a Sunday morning and you did not expect to be surprised by the grace of God in your life. And maybe some of you guys have been looking for God. Maybe you've been searching. Maybe you've been asking answers for a very long time. There's two men here, and I think it's interesting to see how the parable unfolds. But, 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 but the parable is about two men, regardless of how they came. We all come in different ways, but regardless of how they came, the idea is that the gospel has been planted in their lives. Jesus has changed their life, and now they are a follower of Jesus. So the question we have is, as we're reading this parable thousands of years later, the question we have to discern for ourselves is this. What are the signs that you are like the person who found the treasure? What are the signs that you are like the person who found the great pearl of great price? How can you tell if you're just a spiritual bargain hunter hoping to get something out of Jesus that your heart really hasn't put into it? That's a good question this morning. Are you a true disciple? I have a couple diagnostic questions that I think come from the passage, and I think they're good for us to answer. And so if you're trying to say, am, am I a true disciple, am, am, or am I just a spiritual bargain hunter? The first question is this. Do you understand the value of what you have found? Do you understand the value of what you have found? Here's the thing. You're in church on a Sunday morning. You showed up for a million different reasons. You got a flyer in the mail. Somebody invited you. You saw something on Facebook. You got a free ice cream. You, you, you did something in the community where we offered a free event. But you're here on a Sunday morning. It's not coincidence. It's not a happenstance. I don't know what you came and what you were looking for, but you are here. The question I have for you this morning is what have you found? Uh, it happens time and time again that people get involved in a community. Um, they, they, in fact, sometimes people get deeply involved in a community of faith. They serve, they give, they're, they're involved in Bible study, they go to community group. Yet at the end of the day, what they have found is not that Jesus is really all satisfying and he's all pleasurable, but there's side benefits to being a part of a community of faith. Um, when I was a student pastor for 14 years, there was a kid that came to our ministry. He moved into town because he had to come to live with his aunt, um, sort of as a foster kid. He was 18 when he came to our ministry. And he was forced to come to our ministry because his aunt came to our church. And so he just happened to, to, to be forced into the process. And when he was forced into the process, what he found was he found friends. He got engaged. He was involved in Bible study. He helped us with campus ministry. We even baptized him. And then on senior night, after he had been involved with us for a year, on senior night, we put him on a stage in front of several thousand people, and we allowed several seniors to share their story, and it just so happened that his mom and dad, who sent him off to live with his aunt and uncle, happened to be in the grave. They drove hundreds of miles to see their son be on a stage on senior night. I kid you not. As he's sharing his story, he's talking to thousands of people, but then he looks directly at his mom and dad in the auditorium, and he speaks directly to them as if they're the only ones in the room, and he says, I just want my mom and dad, and then he gets personal, I just want you to find what I found. <laughs> it, was a, it was a sharp moment. It sounds like a great story, but, but if you run the tape out, years later, his life 
resembles nothing like a follower of Jesus. It's happened, it happens, it's, it's common in the church. Like he's not, he's not antagonistic towards God, he just wants nothing to do with God, church, or Jesus. And so the question becomes, what have or what did he find and then what have you found? So, so this, this kid who at one time found the community of faith and had some side benefits could not say with the psalmist, with David, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He could not say about the commandments of God that says in Psalm 19.10, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And he could not agree with Paul when he said, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. We work very hard to create an environment in this church where, where your story is welcome here. And we work hard to convince you that, that, that we are better together and life shouldn't be this solo flight. And, and it, honestly, it genuinely thrills our heart when people connect to what Jesus is doing in our church and they belong to our fellowship. But I want to say to you, we would be really awful pastors if we did not tell you that friendship and community and good feelings are not the same thing as finding Jesus as the true treasure of life. And so if what you found is belonging and community and friendship, someone to call when life is difficult, I don't want to undervalue that. I don't want to minimize the importance of what you have found because ultimately that could be the conveyor belt that leads you into a relationship with Jesus as the treasure of your life. But I want you to know that friendship and community and somebody to call when life is difficult, it all pales in comparison to knowing that Christ is the treasure that is more valuable above all of it. Otherwise, Jesus is just a hobby. <laughs> He's just on par with a, a guy's game night or a mom's walking group or your love for the Dodgers. If Jesus is not the treasure of life, then, then don't take this wrongly because all of us are on a journey. But if Jesus is not your treasure, then he's just, he's just on par as being a hobby in your life. Like your love for sports or your love for your family or your love for, for, for whatever it may be, he's simply a hobby in your life. And what I want to point you to as one of your pastors is the fact that your story is welcome here because we believe that whether you come on a journey like the man who stumbled on Jesus or the one who's been asking questions for a long time, we want to point you to the fact that it is in fact Jesus who is the greatest treasure. That's what we want to point you to. Like we love that you belong. We love that you're in a community group. We love that, that you are here, that you show up on Sunday mornings. But I wanna, just want to say, the treasure that is Jesus pales in comparison to all those things. Those are a side benefit. So what have you found here? What have you found? Some of you are like, I just got here for the, this is my first day. What are you talking about? I just found the church. So, so no, really, really, what have you found? Is it friendship? That's awesome. Is it, is it a caring group of people? I mean, that's fantastic. Or have you found the pearl of great price? 
Because if you understand the value of Jesus, what that says is that the gospel has affected your mind. Has affected your mind. Now bear with me just for a moment. The first diagnostic question is, do you know the value of what you found? The second diagnostic question, if you're a true follower of Jesus, is this. Are you determined to have it? Are you determined to have it? The men who found the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, that they were, they were unwavering in their desire to have what they discovered. Now, the passage doesn't tell us this, but this is a contrast to what we actually see in the passage. But just imagine just for a moment. They find something that could literally transform their life, that could change their life for the good, for the better. Can you imagine in this moment that the men who find this thing that can literally transform their life, they decide that it's going to be too much trouble to invest themselves into it for that treasure and to have the pearl of great price for whatever reason. I've got to sell things off. I've got to change my lifestyle. I've got to, I've got to do certain things that I've never done before. Um, my friends and family may misinterpret what it is that I'm engaged in. But so, so I may be a rich man, but it would be way too much trouble. <laughs> this is the effect that the gospel has on your emotion. Like, 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 don't be fooled. Like, when you're presented with the truths of Scripture, if God has changed your life, you understand there is a process in which you must count the cost as to whether or not you are going to buy in and your heart's going to be all in to what Jesus is asking of you. And that's not a small thing. In fact, the book of Luke chapter 14 tells us if you're going to build this huge skyscraper, you've got to count the cost to know whether or not you have the ability to fund this project, whether, whether you have the emotional ability to deal with it as it's all being built and whether or not it's going to actually benefit you in the long run. That's what the gospel does to you. It affects your mind. If you know that you're a true disciple, the second thought is that it affects your emotions. It will affect you emotionally as you struggle as to whether or not your heart is going to be fully engaged in the things of God. When I was a youth pastor, um, there was a kid that came to us from Iran. He was a religious refugee. His name was Cheyenne. And when Cheyenne lived in Iran... He was the beneficiary of a Bible that had been smuggled into his country because they're illegal. He was the beneficiary of an Iranian pastor who invested into his life and told him the truths of the gospel so that he could fully understand Jesus. And he came to this point in life that he had to determine whether or not he was going to follow Jesus. Now, you, you may know or you may not know that if you are a religious minority, meaning if you are anything other than a... Um, if you're anything other than Muslim in an Iranian country, in a country like Iran that lives by Sharia law, you understand that conversion to a different religious um, community other than Islam can result in the death of your life, the taking of your life. At the bare minimum, often it will result in you losing your family and then turning their back on you. It's the story of a teenage boy presented with a Bible presented with the truths of the gospel, and he has to determine whether or not he is going to allow his heart to follow Jesus. Now listen to me. I, I realize that we have very different struggles. This teenage boy determined in his heart that nothing was going to stop him from having Jesus. Not only did he have Jesus, he told his mom and his sister about Jesus, and they decided to have Jesus as well. And you know the end of the story. His dad threatened their life. They had to go to Turkey as a religious refugee, and the um, United States of America allowed them to come to Atlanta as a religious refugee, and they ended up in the church where I was serving. Cheyenne shows up in our church, 
And for multiple years in this process of being a new believer and new to the American culture, he is struggling and wrestling with watching teenagers and adults wonder why they can have one foot in and one foot out and why they aren't determined with all of their heart to be possessed by Jesus. When the gospel begins to arrest your heart, one of the ways you know that, that, that it has control of you and that it really has seeped to the depths of your soul is that it has affected your emotion. We are in very difficult, different circumstances than a teenage boy in Iran. I get that. Ours has, has less to do with losing our life and more to do with our comfort, more to do with our preferences, more to do with our personality, more to do with our perceptions. But all of us have to determine. Are you going to be possessed by Jesus? Is your heart so engaged that you will follow Jesus regardless of the cost? The last question is, not only does your mind understand it, do you know what you found? Are you determined to have it? The last question is, what holds you back from it? What holds you back from it? The two men who sold all they have, they found their treasure. Don't confuse what the gospel says here. The gospel is not necessarily asking you to sell everything you own. But don't cheapen that grace either. Luke says, count the cost. Like what holds you back? Seriously. Like you understand what you found. Your emotions are tied up into this and, and, and they're bent towards the gospel. Yet there may be things in your life that you're like, I'm just not there yet. Now, I think you would probably expect me to say in this moment, give more to the church, give more time to the church, be more involved in the church, quit your job, be a missionary. But I want to speak to you in this last part of this message in, in a little bit of a different way. I don't want to speak to you about your tangible things that you own that God may say give up. By the way, God may say that. I was an accounting major in college. I think, Jesus, I'm not an accountant now. However, I fully understood when I was a junior in college, I was pursuing accounting since I was in ninth grade. I knew what the path was like. I knew what the road ahead was like. I knew that there was great money. In fact, I know that at this point in life, I'd probably be making double what I'm making now and have a beach house. I realized what the process entailed. I realized what I would, and God may ask you that. He may very well ask you to consider the things that you own, but God may very well not ask you that. There, it, may be, it may very well begin much more subtle in your life. Martin Luther once said, let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. It was his determination. It was his determination that not even life himself could keep him from God's kingdom. So, so what could be the application for me, Pastor Matt? One pastor said one of the things that we must sell off in coming to Christ is our old prejudices, our old values, and those things must die. He, he applies this by saying some of us have to put ourselves, some of us have put ourselves on par with God, right? Like, like I'm a pretty good person, God, and I think you need to take notice of how really good I am. And some of us have this difficulty in, in believing that we need to dispose of how good we are to God so we continually try to prove ourselves that, God, I'm good enough for your kingdom. 
And God, and, and this pastor says, this is just a great quote. Now, this pastor is about 150 years old. He's not living, but when he was 150 years ago, he said this, okay? He said, you have been very good, and, you, and your esteem of yourself is that of touching the commandments, sort of like what the rich young ruler said. All these I have kept from my youth up. That's what the rich young ruler said. And what with a good deal of church going or attendance at the meeting house and a few extra prayers on a Christmas day and on Good Friday and just a little dose of the sacraments, you feel yourself in tolerable good situation. Now, my friend, he says, that's old moth-eaten righteousness of yours that you are so proud of and you must sell it off and get rid of it. For no man can be saved by the righteousness of Christ while he puts any trust in his own. Sell it all off, every rag of it, and suppose nobody will even buy it. At any rate, you must part with it. Assuredly, it is not worth putting amongst the filthiest of rags, for it is worse than they are. We so value our own goodness and our own righteousness. Pastor, are you telling me I'm not a good person? Now listen to me. I know that we are all capable of doing good things. But if the gospel affects your mind, it affects your emotions, one of the last things that it affects is your will, your volition, your desire to tangibly, physically lay down some things at the altar and say, God, I don't bring a whole lot to you. <laughs> I don't bring a whole lot of things to you that allows me to be equal and on par with you. And all of those good things that I bring to you, the scripture says, are like filthy rags but we have a hard time with that because we like to be esteemed by others. That's why, why often, and I think this is a church that's a little bit different. I feel like we can come to this church and we can be who we are and we don't have to cover up that it's been a difficult week because we know there's a community of grace and love and we can be authentic and honest with each other. But, but humanity in general, we love to be esteemed. <laughs> and it's hard for us to say, I am a miserable sinner in need of salvation that comes entirely by grace, but that is the first thing we must sell off. Self-righteousness must go. Do you find that hard? Do you find that uncomfortable? Like, is that too great of a price to pay? Like, God, I consider myself a fairly good person. I give to charities. I volunteer here. I don't steal, I don't rob, I don't kill. I don't take this, that which isn't mine. And I'm a fairly decent person. So God, surely you will take me into your kingdom as one of your citizens. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. He's paid for it. He's paid for all of the badness that we consider good. And he says, in fact, those good things that we consider are like filthy rags. And you don't bring anything good to the table. But praise God, when the gospel transforms your life, it affects your mind, it affects your emotions, it affects your will, such that you are willing to cast off and to sell off anything that does not represent Christ in your life. Does that sound hard to you? Listen to me, if that sounds hard to you, then you're not yet the man or the woman that Jesus is talking about in this parable. You're not yet there. You're not yet the person whom the gospel has been planted in your life and it's taken root. But if you are, 
And if you've come to the place where you're willing to say, there's nothing that I hold back in being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel has not only affected your mind, it's not only affected your will, but it's also affected the entirety of your being. And you're saying, in order to possess the treasure, that pearl of great price, Jesus, I offer it all. So what does a disciple look like in real life? (laughs) It's easy to see the meaning True disciple understands the value of what we've found and we're willing to sacrifice whatever it costs to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. But what does that really look like? Like, how do I apply that today, pastor? Do I sell everything? Do I give up my job? I mean, what does it look like? Can I point you to just one living illustration just in our church? uh, A girl named Madison. Madison moved to Los Angeles a little over a month ago. She was a senior at Mississippi State University. Um, This was her last semester. She was supposed to graduate in May. And about six or eight months ago, God began working in her life and some things were going on in her heart and her mind. And, And through prayer and through a season of saying, God, I surrender my will and my desire to you, whatever you want. She believed that God said, go to Los Angeles. Like a lot of people in her life have looked at her and said, why would you do that? (laughs) You've got four months left to graduate from college. You can't take online classes and finish your, your degree in Los Angeles. You physically need to be present. Why would you do that? You know what her answer is? Because God said go. Because God said go. Um, has it been easy? Nope. Jobs haven't worked out like she thought they would. Really there's nothing going on job-wise. <laughs> that sounds familiar. She was in a car wreck. Her car was totaled about two weeks ago. She's supposed to be wearing a neck brace, but she's stubborn like that, and she's not wearing it. It hasn't been easy. This is what she posted on her Facebook page yesterday. This is what she posted on her Facebook page yesterday. Psalm 145, verse 16. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord, listen to this, is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and he will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever, amen. That's what a true disciple says. The gospel has so affected my mind, I see the value of what I have possessed. Jesus is valuable above all other things. I'm determined that nothing will keep me from it And God, my volition, my will is such that I lay it down and whatever you say, I am there. Are you on the fence today? Let me speak to you. Are you on the fence today wondering? Like if you you come to that point and you, you say, God, mine, emotions, will, it's all there. Are you on the fence today thinking that if that's the place you come to at some point in your life, are you wondering, are you gonna have to go back to that place and trade back in what you surrendered? Is that where you are? Um, I want to say this. You will never find yourself coming back with your treasure or your pearl hoping to get your property back. (laughs) 
just like the man who found the treasure, the person who found the pearl of great price, Madison who has surrendered it all. This is a description of a true disciple who has received, listen to me, a great bargain. (laughs) They've received a great bargain and I want to say to you, they made the deal of their lives and I promise you they are the happiest people on the planet. Where are you today? Where are you? I say this to you often. Uh, it really does no good just to show up in church on a Sunday morning, right? Like, like just, I need another religious exercise. Gosh, you could be, you could be at the farmer's market. You could be at the beach. <laughs> you could be ski. You could be anywhere else but Sunday morning. So if this is a religious exercise, thank you, Jesus, that you are here, but you could be doing so many other things. Now, what have you found? Why are you here? Have you found the pearl of great price? Has your mind, your emotions, your will been affected such that you will say with the men who found the treasure, I will give everything I have to have that treasure. Do me a favor, bow your head, close your eyes. We're gonna be done, we're gonna sing a few songs. I wanna lead you to something real quick and I'm gonna be done. Have you come to that place where you've where the gospel has so affected you that your life has been changed and transformed. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. I want to lead you to that point. If that's you, you're like, that's me. I've been here. I've got the benefits of the kingdom, but I've really been looking for a spiritual bargain. God, I want the benefits of being associated, but Jesus, I've never just really seen you as all satisfying. And maybe the gospel, the spirit of God has affected you today in such a way that you understand what you found. Your emotions are tied into it and you are determined to have it and nothing will hold you back. If that's you, I wanna lead you into this moment where there's nothing magical or mystical about it. We're not gonna stand you on stage, make you say anything you don't wanna say. It's simply, that's the genuine, authentic desire of your heart and your life today, to be wholly possessed by God, to follow Jesus. This is a moment where you need to do some business with God, where you acknowledge to God, God, I realize I am a sinner. Jesus, I realize who I am, and my even good deeds are like filthy rags, and so God, I surrender them them to you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and transform my life. If that's your desire, can I just ask you to do something? You do me a favor with nobody looking around. Doesn't matter to the right, to the left, to the front, to the back. Everybody's got their head bowed. If that's your desire to be possessed by, to follow Jesus, mind, emotions, will. Would you do me a favor? I'm not talking about rededication, like I'm a Christian, but I need to come back to God. I'm talking about you've never been transformed by the love and the grace of Jesus who died for you on the cross. And this is a watershed moment, a yes or no moment where the gospel has arrested your heart. If that's your desire, would you do me a favor? Nobody looking around. Would you just raise your hand? Anybody in here? Would you just raise your hand? Praise God. Anybody else? Praise God. Anybody else? Nobody looking around. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Anybody else? Praise God. If you raise your hand, can you just do me a favor? I just want you to listen to me and I'm going to be done. And we're going to sing a few songs. If you just raise your hand, what you have said is that I acknowledge that I've heard the gospel today. I know of Jesus who died for my sins. And I surrender my life and my will and my desires to him. We don't want to embarrass you, make you do anything you don't want to do. But can I ask you to do something for us when we're done? When you walk out of this auditorium, I want to ask you to stop by the connect table. And there's a couple people out there. And we want you to fill out just a connect card. On the bottom of that connect card, it says, I desire to follow Jesus. Now, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to send you an email today or tomorrow, by Tuesday morning at the latest. 
When you say, praise God, this is amazing. We, we cheer you on because we believe life is not a solo flight. It's a community journey. We want to come alongside you. We want to give you a Bible. We want to help you begin to walk with God. That's all we desire. We're not asking you to scrape your hand and sign in blood. We're, we're simply saying we're coming alongside you to walk with you. If that's you this morning, you raise your hand. Would you just do us the great honor of knowing you and being able to follow up with you to help you walk with God? Now, let me do this. I'm going to pray for us. And I want us to sing a few songs. And I want you to hear this. Maybe there's been a a moment and a season in your life where you're like, my my heart has not been inclined. It has not been as determined as it once was when Jesus transformed my life. I'm speaking to believers this morning. Maybe you need to have an honest moment before God to say, Holy Spirit of God, come and transform me. Change me. Speak to me. Lead me back to that place where you once had me. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the word of God this morning. God, thank you for the stories that you told that lead us directly to your heart. God, may we be a people that say the kingdom of God is so valuable. We will sacrifice whatever it takes to be one of its citizens. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Let's stand and sing.